Welcome to 40 Days of Prayer. So good to see everybody this morning. I want to encourage you to take out your message notes as we jump right into our message. On New Year's Day, uh, Dana and I decided to go for a hike on Mount Diablo, and we went for the view. Uh, Mount Diablo is easy for us to see here in Tracy. It's out to the northwest, and if you look today, you're going to see it's covered in snow, so it really stands out. But it's actually not a very large mountain. It's only 3,849 feet tall. But because of where it's located and because of what is around it, it is a location that on clear days you can almost see forever. New Year's Day was a clear day. So we went up, uh, we got to the top, a lot of other people were there as well because they had heard the news that it was a good day to be there. And as we looked, we really could see the entire Bay Area. We looked to the north of the Bay Area and we saw the San Rafael Bridge, we saw Mount Tam, we saw the, the Golden Gate and the Bay Bridges. Very clearly you could see the Salesforce Tower and the Transamerica Building, uh, easy to spot in the city. Out beyond the city, 30 miles out into the Pacific Ocean, we could locate uh, the Farallon Islands. Looking down south, we could see the San Mateo Bridge. We could see a good part of the South Bay. And then we turned and looked east. And we got very clear views of the Sierras with all the snow on the mountains there. We actually could even see and locate Tracy. Now, what you saw in Tracy were the massive white Amazon warehouses. That's what you could pick out from up there. But we know where it was, and then we looked north. And when you look north, with a pair of binoculars on a clear day, you can actually spot Mount Lassen, which is 181 miles away. You can actually see that. In fact, on that particular day, once we knew where it was, we could tell that it was there with the naked eye. It's just an incredible uh, thing to contemplate, seeing something that far away. You know, from Mount Diablo, you can also look south and you can see the Loma Prieta Peak and the Santa Cruz Mountains with a good pair of binoculars. I've never been able to see this yet, but they say that you can look into Yosemite and you can pick out Half Dome, 135 miles to the southeast. Now, one of the things that I realized while we were up there on that observation deck and we were looking around, I was listening to the people that were around us, and I realized if you don't know where to look. You can miss a lot. I I could tell by listening there were many people up there who really didn't know the basic geography of what we were looking at in those vistas. And as a result, they were often not able to pick out some really incredible landmarks. Same thing is true, actually, when it comes to prayer. Knowing where to look makes a huge difference. Today, that's what we're going to be talking about, where to look when you pray, because knowing where to look can transform how you pray. Now, we in our culture typically think of prayer as something you do with your eyes closed, and that's not a bad thing. It helps us to focus in on God. It helps us to to push aside some of the distractions of the world around us. But today, in 40 Days of Prayer Part 4, I want to show you five different directions that we should look as we pray. Here's the first one. When I pray, I look backward to the cross. I look backward to the cross. When you begin praying, it is a good habit not to start by 
praying about your problems today or praying about your fears for tomorrow, it's a good habit to start by looking back and looking back to the the thing that is the very foundation of all of our praying, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. This is the reason why we can pray at all. Jesus' death on the cross is the foundation of prayer. And so when when I think in prayer about Jesus dying for me on the cross, it reminds me of some things that help me really to pray. And I want to mention three of them uh, to you this morning. These are great ways to encourage your praying. The first one is how deeply God loves me. You see, despite your sin, God gave his only son to redeem your life because he loves you. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you want to know how much something is worth? Well, it's worth whatever someone else is willing to pay for it, right? I mean, you might own something that you think is very valuable, and you might think this is worth $10,000, but I want to tell you how much it's worth. It's not what your dad told you it's worth. It's not what you think it's worth. It's worth what someone is actually willing to pay for it. And if no one is willing to pay $10,000, it's not worth that. It doesn't matter what you think. Well, how much are you worth? Look at the cross. God sent his own son, Jesus. He came to earth to die for you. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of man could become the sons of God. And he did on the cross what we could never do for ourselves. He paid for all our sins. Why? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. And that is how much you're worth. Jesus gave his life to die for you. And as you begin to pray, you should be thinking about that, remembering how much God loves you. Second, looking at the cross reminds me how costly and evil sin is. How bad must sin be if it takes God's only and holy son dying to pay for it? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Looking at the cross focuses our praying. It helps me not to take sin lightly, but it shows me to deal with sin because of how evil sin is. Third, looking back at the cross reminds me how completely I'm forgiven. We know sin is evil, but sometimes we still sin. Sometimes we still need forgiveness, and the cross assures us that God will forgive us. There's so many verses about this. Listen to Micah 7. It says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. God completely forgives. So when I pray, it is important to look back at the cross, to think about how much Jesus loves me, to remember how completely I am forgiven. Now, to help you do this, a couple of practical things. I want to encourage you 
uh, to begin adding to your prayer list or put on a card that you keep in your Bible or, or maybe put on your phone where you can readily see it, add a note there. I want to encourage you to, to collect verses about the cross, somewhere where you can immediately go to them, where you can review them and think about them on an ongoing basis. Write down verses that show you how great God's love is for you as it's displayed in Jesus' death on the cross and read them again and again and memorize them and meditate on them. Let them sink deeply into your heart. You should begin to do that as you're reading God's word. I'll give you one verse to start off. The rest is up to you. This is a good one to start, Romans 5.8. Just put that down. Let that be someplace where you can see it regularly just to remind you of God's love for you in sending Jesus to die on the cross. Another practical thing that you can do And I want to emphasize, this is secondary to digging deeper into God's Word. You should be doing that first. But you can also, in addition, find some songs about the cross. Uh, Someone has said, alongside your prayer list, maybe you should also get a playlist. And so sometimes listening to songs about the cross can help you focus on what Jesus did for you and dying for you. That's That's a good thing. I want you just to think about all of this, this backward look, all the sins that you've committed, all the sins that you will commit in the future. They have already been taken care of. They have already been paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus died for your sins, and Jesus promises to forgive your sins, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that's a big deal. Do you understand that that means that as I go into the future and as I know That even though I don't want to sin, I'm going to still sin. You're going to still sin, aren't you? Amen? We don't want to, but we're still falling and finite. It's still going to happen. But we can know that when that happens, we can repent and we can ask for forgiveness as we confess our sins. And we can know that God completely forgives. Why? Because he sent his son, Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins. If you brought your prayer journal with you, uh, you might want to mark pages 94 to 96 because we're going to be covering uh, more about this in our groups this week. And if you didn't bring your prayer journal with you, which is fine, maybe you can just write that in your notes just to be uh, remembering it as you get back to that journal. See, we're going to keep talking about this. And if you're on track with us this week, we'll be studying the Lord's Prayer again. And so just remember this. Uh, First, I, I look backward to the cross. But second, a second direction, uh, when I pray, I look upward into my Father's loving face. Now, we've already talked about this some, but we need to keep talking about it. It is so important. God does not want you to see him as your dictator or as your boss. And when Jesus taught us how to pray, Jesus said that we needed to pray and we needed to think about God as our Father, our Father, We today, I don't think, realize how radical this actually is. We're kind of accustomed to it. But before Jesus came to earth, this almost never happened. In the Old Testament, God is rarely called Father. He's called Lord. He's called King. He's called Creator. Many things, but over thousands of years, almost never Father. But when Jesus, God's Son, came to reveal God, to show us what God is really like, he said, God wants you to call him Father. Father. Do you do that? Do you call God 
Father in prayer. God tells you to and wants you to call him that. I mean, how many times in your, your praying do you, do you more often address him as Lord or address him as God? Here's an assignment for you just to help drive this truth home. We want it to get sunk deeply into our hearts. This next week, I want to encourage you, start every prayer, every prayer with Father. Why? Well, it's what God wants to be called. It's what Jesus, his son, told us he wants to be called. He told us to say, Father. And I'm making this point for this reason. Some of you struggle with doing that. You have a hard time. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, I don't really like doing that because I did not have a good dad. And this kind of stirs up some things in me. But I want to tell you today, please hear me today. God isn't your father and your father isn't God. God is a perfect father. He is always loving and full of compassion. He's always patient and dependable. He always, always forgives your sin. And every human father is imperfect. But our father in heaven, he is perfect. And he says, I want you to call me father. See, when Jesus said, I want you to start prayer with our Father, he was serious. And so this week, I just, want, I just want us to focus in on praying that. It's not wrong to begin our prayers by saying Lord or, or God. And I don't want you to feel like you need to become legalistic, like that's the only way you can ever start any prayer saying Father. But even when you say God and even when you say Lord, you should be consciously thinking of your Father who is God, your Father who is the Lord. See, the way you see God, it controls everything about you, particularly your prayer life. And if you begin to truly see God as your Father, it will make a radical difference in the way you pray. See, the truth is, a lot of you pray like you're applying for a bank loan and God is the lending officer. A lot of you pray like you're taking a lie detector test with the FBI. A lot of you, you, you pray like you're going to a deposition with an attorney and you're terrified that you might just say the wrong thing. How you, you see God determines how you pray. It determines if you pray or not. And Jesus says, God is your father and he loves you. And Jesus says, you should call him father. Jesus actually goes beyond, I think, what we hear when we hear the word father because he uses a specific word that is much more intimate. Jesus, speaking in his native language of Aramaic, calls God, tells us to address him as Abba, Abba, which is a lot like our daddy. In Romans 8, 15 through 17, the apostle Paul writes this, and he's writing about prayer. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. It's not like, oh no, I go to God and he's gonna beat me. You know, we, we sing a song, I'm no longer the slave to fear. We're, we're not fearful slaves, so don't act like it. Paul says, instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You're in the family. You are now God's child if he has saved you. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This just means we're in the family. And when you're in the family, you get to inherit everything. And that's really, really good, isn't it? I mean, these verses are just so packed with life changing truth. And I really believe some of us here, because of our past and issues in our lives, really, really need to memorize these words, get them into our hearts. And when we understand them, it will transform everything about the way that we pray. Again, whatever you think God is like, that determines how you pray. And if you think of God as distant or uncaring, if you think of God as hard to please and harsh, If you think that God is trying to take advantage of you and take something away from you that you really, really want and and he doesn't really have your best interests at heart, if you think anything like that, your prayers are not going to be worth the breath you use to pray them. We, We need to understand who God is because if we think God is something that he's not, we won't pray in a way that honors him. I want to give you three ways from these three verses that God wants us to pray. And these are ways we should learn and memorize and never forget. First, God wants my prayers to be personal, personal. He says here, when we come to God, we don't just call him father, we call him Abba. And again, Abba is the most basic word in Aramaic, which was Jesus' native language. You can still go to a Middle Eastern city today, and you will hear children saying, Abba, Abba. It's the word for daddy, or or maybe it's dada. It's just the easiest kind of a word for a baby to say, Abba, dada, papa. Some of you uh, know this, but in case you don't, I'm going to share it with you. Um, Our first grandchild is about to be born in just about five more weeks. And we're excited, and I hope you're excited too. Um, not as excited as I am. And, and it's a boy. It's a boy. We already know a boy is coming. Uh, we also, some of you don't know this. Uh, this has been more recent news. But a second grandchild is coming to another uh, one of our children in July. So we're going to have two grandchildren this year. 2019 is going to be a very, very good year for us. We're really excited. And... Uh, my, my kids, with the, these grandchildren showing up, have asked, you know, well, what do you want to be called? And I said, I want to be called Papa. That's what my dad wanted to be called, and so we've always had Papas, and I want to continue that tradition uh, because I, you know, I just want to be called what my dad was called. I think everybody likes that, but I also have another reason. I think if I'm called Papa, I have a chance, just a little chance, they'll say Papa first. <laughs> Maybe. Because it's like the perfect name, isn't it, for a baby to use? It's a name. Doesn't it speak of intimacy, independence, unconditional love, tenderness? Do you see that Jesus is telling us this is how you address God? If you really did that, would that change the way you pray? See, this is telling us God, our Father, wants intimacy with you. He created you for intimacy. I think Jesus is saying, when you pray, your, your, your prayers don't need to be impressive. They don't need to be scholarly and poetic and beautiful and cool if that's what you're striving for. <laughs> I mean, if you, you like big words and that's how you think and that's how you talk and it's honest and sincere, there's nothing wrong with, with that. 
But some of us go, I don't know big words. <laughs> so just pray honestly. Just pray simply like a child. Just be unpretentious. I mean, is a toddler ever worried about making a good impression? <laughs> See, God says, when you come to me, that's how you, you come. And, and again, exalted and beautiful language in prayer to God isn't wrong if it's used in a desire to honor God as Father. But again, if you don't know how to pray like that, just relax. You don't have to. God doesn't expect it. God cares far more about you coming to him honestly and simply. Come to him as Abba. He's your father. He's your daddy. He's your papa. If you get this, it just changes how you pray. And so, again, I'm going to give you some homework. This is related to what I've already said, but I'm going to make it a little more specific. And I think some of you really need to practice this. This week, I'm going to encourage you to start every prayer with daddy. Can you do that? Some of you right now are going, that's weird. (laughs) Why is it weird to you? That would be a good question to ask yourself. I mean, God says he wants to be addressed as father. He uses this word Abba in the original language, and it's a word of tenderness and intimacy that's kind of like our daddy or like our papa. Why would it be wrong for us to pray that way? You say, well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, that's your problem. I mean, that's why some of you suck at prayer. That's why you don't pray, some of you. Some of you need to grow up and start saying da-da. You need to pray the way Jesus told you to pray. It's what God wants. And the real point is not the form or the word. The real point is that the prayer is to be personal. The prayer is to be close. Pray to your father like he's actually your father. Second... We see Paul telling us that God wants my prayers to be passionate. He says, when we pray, we we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice, we we simply cry out. Have you ever ever observed that that, that children cry a lot? They'll cry anywhere. In fact, they're not embarrassed even to cry in a mall or in a line at the store to get something that they want. I mean, if they're happy, they will cry, and they'll let everyone know. And I know the reason some of them do that is they're brats, okay? But, but here's the point. They're totally unpretentious. And this is what God is talking about here through his inspiration of Paul's words. We are to cry out. Do you pray like that? Or are you more worried about what other people think. Some of us don't want to pray in groups of people because we're worried about what other people think. You're not talking to them. You're talking to God. And some of you have trouble. <laughs> you have trouble praying in your own mind because you're worried about what God will think about your words. You ever realize that's kind of not, doesn't make a lot of sense? I mean, God already knows everything about you. Why are you worried about how you're talking to him in your mind? You know, we, we, we need to set these things aside and just come to him and pray with passion. Cry out. Do you ever, ever pray like that? Do you ever come and you say, Father, I have to have this. I need this. God, Daddy, help me. Please, now I need you. I'm being tempted and I'm about to go under. Dad, will you strengthen me? 
Father, Abba, I've got this decision to make, and I don't know what I should do. Would you give me wisdom? I need it now. Should I take this job or that job, Papa? Should I marry this person or not, Daddy? Would you tell me? Would you give me wisdom? He says when you pray, you pray with passion. You cry out. You cry out. Now, you don't have to always pray with great emotion, but do you ever go there? Do you ever pray with deep passion? God God loves it when you share your emotions. Why? You say, well, it's honest. It's really where you are. I don't know if you ever think about this, but the reason that you have emotions is that God created you in his image. God has emotions. Now, his are perfect and ours aren't, so sometimes we have problems with thinking about that, but God has emotions. The Bible says God gets angry. The Bible says God gets jealous. There's a lot of things that we see about God, and we should not be afraid of emotions in our lives. We should pray with passion and pray with feeling. See, just remember When you pray, you're not meeting with your tax preparer. Like, okay, well, hmm, what should I put on line 482? This is your father, and you should pray with passion. Third, God wants my prayers to be a partnership by his spirit. Now, this will surprise some of you, but, but did you know that when you pray, the Holy Spirit actually prays with you? Every time you pray, God is actually talking to himself with you, about you. Look at Romans 8.26. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. See, we often don't know what to pray, right? We, we often don't know how we should pray. And Paul tells us in this wonderful verse that when this happens, the Holy Spirit is stepping in and he is interceding for us and he does it with groans. And this is like something deep within. It comes from the deepest part of who we are. It's deep emotion and deep passion. The Holy Spirit's intercession is so deep, words cannot express. What does that mean? Well, it means your loving Father understands even when you don't really know how to pray. When you're not even sure what, what thoughts and words to express, you just can't put it into words. And you know, parents, we, we understand that, right? I mean, when my kids were little, sometimes they would try to say something and they just didn't know how to say it. They couldn't find the words. But most of the time, I knew what they meant. I could figure it out and I could respond to what they were wanting even though they couldn't actually tell me what they were wanting. Sometimes they didn't even know what they were feeling. It's almost like I knew the answers before they made the request. See, that's called being a good parent. And God is a perfect parent. And God is not upset when you just come to him and say, Father, I don't even even know what to say right now, but I'm kind of just checking in. I'm here, and I know you're always here. I think God responds to that and says, I'm glad. I'm glad you're just here in my presence. You don't have to say anything. You can just rest. Do you know that you don't always have to be moving your mouth to be praying? And 
You don't always have to be actively expressing thoughts to pray. There is a verse in the Bible that says, be still. Know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. And so sometimes we just need to come and tell God, I just want to sit here in your presence for a while and just be still. And God's okay with that. In fact, Romans 8.26 says, I don't know if you thought about this, but it says God talks to himself while you talk to him. You say, that's weird. Well, that's what it is. You say, God prays to God. Yeah, that's what Paul is telling us. And I just have to ask you a question. Do you ever talk to yourself? Do you ever lie about talking to yourself? (laughs) Everybody talks to themselves, okay? And we do it all the time. And so let me just ask you to think about this. How, How many times... Is somebody talking to you, and while they're talking to you, you're talking to yourself about them. You do this all the time, right? Sometimes you're talking to yourself about them, and you're not even listening to them talking to you. That's not a good thing. But see, when you're talking to God, God can talk to himself about you. And when you talk to God, it's called prayer. And when God talks to himself, And this is just almost incomprehensible. He is living out the life of the holy, beautiful, eternal trinity in a mystery that our tiny little minds cannot comprehend. Father and Son and Holy Spirit in eternal communion. Fellowship. Three persons. One God. And we need to know this, okay, because we need to know this because one of the things that tells us is that every time we pray, we're not praying on our own. God himself joins us in our praying. And I think we get this on an earthly level if we really stop to think about it. You know, sometimes I'm out on the courtyard after a service, and I'm talking to you, and and you're talking to me, and I'm smiling, and I'm listening. And sometimes when that's happening, I'm also praying, and I, I may be praying, God, I'm not really sure what's going on in this person's life, but I know you know. Would you give them wisdom? Would you help them? Lord, it seems like there's a real hurt or wound in their life, and I, I don't know that I can tell what it is, but I know you know. Lord, would you heal them? Would you give them what they need to move past this? It's like I'm talking to God about you while you're talking to me. This is very easy, obviously, for God himself to do in regards to us. See, he's he's our, our father, and he loves us. And if we catch that and get that, it changes everything about how we pray. Here's the third Direction to look. When I pray, I look inward to Jesus living inside me. Again, do you know what the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is in you? When you give your life to Christ, when you place your trust in him, he saves you and he puts his spirit in you. You are in Christ and Jesus is in you. And this may shock you that the Trinity is in you because Father, Son, and Spirit, they are one. And so that means God is in you. Your life is in God's life. And it's so mind-boggling. It's hard for us to comprehend. We often say, I don't get it, but it's true. Sometimes you may think, I don't feel it. But it's reality, whether you feel it or not. You might write this down. I heard this phrase from someone, all three in me. 
The Father is in you, Spirit is in you, Son is in you, if you have invited him in. And if you are here today and you haven't invited him in, then I want to invite you to invite him in so you can know how incredible and beautiful and lovely and wonderful he is. See, I look inward to Jesus living inside me. Now, here's where this gets really practical. Because Jesus lives in me, that means he knows everything about me. And that also tells us that he unconditionally accepts me. And when I get this, here's what happens. It gives me freedom and courage to honestly face up to my faults. I mean, everything we've talked about is leading to this. I look back at the cross. I look up at my loving Father, and because of what the, that backward and upward look means, that means I can honestly look inward, and I can be honest about what's there. I can face what God shows me, and this is such an important part of prayer. We, we call it repentance and confession. See, we, we need to be praying and thinking like this, Jesus, you're inside me and you know what's inside me. And Jesus, you know there's some stuff inside me that you don't like and some stuff I don't like. You know. You, you know that inside me there's some bad attitudes, some secret sins, some compulsions I just cannot seem to stop. Some unforgiveness, Father. I know it's there. You know it's there. There's some hurtful memories, some wounds. There's some resentment and bitterness. God, there's stuff in me that you don't like and I don't like. And I don't really know how to deal with it. I don't know how to clear it out. God, would you help me? Would you help me with that? See, this is the third part of prayer. It should be part of our ongoing conversation with the Father. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. See, prayer should always involve self-examination. It's like a heart checkup. You examine yourself to see if your faith is real and growing. You test yourself. You remember that Jesus is living in you. Unless, of course, he's not because you failed the test and you've not invited him in. I just to ask you a question, okay? Would anyone here like to be better than they already are? Of course, that's why you're here. I, that's what I love about you. You know, you want to be better than you are, but we can't get better until we face the reality of where we are. Someone said, before I get better, I have to admit what's bitter and what's bad in my life. See, the truth will set you free, but first it usually makes you miserable. Have you noticed that? See, the truth is often what you least like about yourself. The truth is often what I least like about myself. And we don't want to get honest with ourselves because of that, much less anyone else. But we cannot change and we cannot grow until we're honest. See, there's no change without trust, and there's no trust without truth. And so first, I have to be honest, and it really starts with what we've been talking about, looking up into the face of my loving Father, knowing that he accepts me because of what Jesus did on the cross, no matter what. See, when we know this, we can relax, and we can get honest with God because he already knows everything in us that needs to change. I can repent 
I can confess all my sins knowing that he will forgive me and he will make me clean. You see, this is an important part of prayer. And some of our lives are suffering because we're, we're not looking in this direction and praying like this. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, there's a version that says, If you hide your sins, you won't succeed. And I just wonder, is there anyone here? You're not succeeding in life, and you're wondering why. And maybe right here is the answer. What is it you're covering up? God invites you to be open with him and get honest with him. He promises mercy if you confess and renounce your sins. Uh, One paraphrase says that you get another chance. You know, we kind of see this. It seems like every week there's a new version of this that gets rolled out. Just ask any politician. Isn't the cover-up almost always worse than the crime? (laughs) Because sooner or later, it all comes to light. But with God, here's the big secret. God already knows what needs to change in your life. He knows it all, and he loves you anyway. So just get honest with him. And when you get honest with him, that's when you start to experience new levels of intimacy with him. I mean, just mention this because this kind of has ramifications across our lives. If you learn to be intimate with God, that is the beginning of what will give you the courage to experience intimacy in your other relationships in your life. And some of you, this is the reason why you've never found intimacy in your relationships, because you're not intimate with God. You know, there are married couples who are married for 50 years and they never have intimacy. Intimacy is not sex. Sex is the mingling of bodies, but intimacy is the mingling of souls. And intimacy only happens when, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we are naked and unashamed, totally open. And as long as we're not open and honest, we can never find the the depth of intimacy God wants for our relationships. And it starts with being intimate with him. And everyone craves intimacy, whether they know it or not. Everyone craves it. But the only way you get intimacy is by being honest and open and transparent with another person. And again, 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 I cannot say this enough. That starts with God in prayer. You know, there are levels of intimacy. You can experience some of these in your small group. I mean, sharing frustrations is one level. Sharing your fears is a deeper level of intimacy. Sharing what you don't like about yourself, that goes even deeper. But but it's only when you invite other people into your life and you allow them to see who you truly are that you really begin to experience true intimacy. You say, well, how do I start this with God? Well, let me give you one suggestion. There's many, many ways you could do this, but this will just be one practical way to start. It's drawn from this next passage, Galatians 5, and 23, very familiar verses. Uh, this is the, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, these are all character qualities that we all need in our lives. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would like to be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more self-control. Anybody want some more of any of those things in your life, right? I mean, we all need those things. And so as we ask God to grow us and make us more like 
Jesus, we, we, we can ask God to do these things in our life. And as we do that, what we'll begin to realize is someone has noted that what this list ultimately is, is it a picture of Jesus. This, this list of these nine things that Paul summarizes with one word, fruit, it's really a picture of Jesus. And so we can pray using this and ask God to produce these things in our lives. Start producing more love and more joy, Father, in my heart today. If you're looking for a place to start, this would be a godly checklist to pray for. Put these verses down and pray through it and let God examine your heart and let him change you. Number four, when I pray, I look around and ask the Holy Spirit to use me. You know, the most dangerous prayer you can pray is just two words, use me. If you pray that and you mean that, I'm pretty confident God will wear you out. He will answer that prayer. And I I believe the world is waiting for more believers to pray, Holy Spirit, show me where you want to use me today. There's a lot of problems in our world, amen? But how about this? Instead of criticizing the world or instead of complaining about the world or instead of judging the world, that doesn't work real well, right? How about instead of for heaven's sakes, blogging about the world's problems and thinking that'll really change anything. How about we just pray, God, Holy Spirit, show me where you want to use me. Show me what's wrong. Show me how I can make a difference. Use me. I dare you to pray that prayer. Romans 6.13 says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. What would happen in Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop if you offered yourself to God for his purposes, to be an instrument, to be a tool in his hands? What would happen if you prayed for God and allowed him to work in you the way he wants to work? What if you said, God, Holy Spirit, use me for my, your purposes? God wants to do that. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing better than that when you know that you're doing what God made you to do because God has put you in this place for his reason, and now you're living that out. This is such an important way for us to pray. Are you praying this? Are you so focused on the problems in your life, you're never getting outside of yourself and allowing God to do what he wants to do through you. You know, I I don't know who I'm supposed to say this to, but I am confident in every service today, there is someone here, someone here, and the world is waiting for the contribution you have to make. God has called you to do something on your street, in your neighborhood, at that place where you work, And he's just waiting for you to say, I'm available, God, use me. What does God want you to do? How does God want you to share his love and explain who Jesus Christ is? How does God want you to speak the truth and speak it in love? How does God want to use you? See, you were made for more. And God wants you to pray, God, use me, even if you don't know where. Look around and let God lead you. He will do that. 
Now, this is not, in case you're uh, thinking this, this is not about do great things with your life. I mean, some of us need to stop trying to do something great with our lives. Uh, This is a quote that's attributed to Mother Teresa, and and she said, according uh, to this, that uh, most of us cannot do great things, but all of us can do normal things with great love. I think that's true. See, God will bless that. Maybe you need to stop trying to find some significant place to serve. Maybe you need to make what you're doing significant because you are pouring your heart into it and you're giving all of the love that God has blessed you with to it. The world's waiting for your contribution. So we go backward to the cross. We go upward to the Father. We, we look inward for examination. We look around at the world. Finally, when I pray, I look forward to my future in faith. See, now we're talking about praying about what God is doing in your life, and and this is what's ahead today and what's ahead next week and what's ahead the month after that, this year, 10 years, 20 years, your life goals. Are are you talking to God about these things? Are you praying, Father, Abba, Papa, Daddy? God wants you to talk to him about these things. What are your dreams? Uh, Any good parent loves to hear what their child's dreams are, and God wants to hear your plans and your thoughts, your dreams. You know, it can just start with you praying about your day and, you know, tomorrow's going to come pretty quickly, right? And you're going to be back in, in your, your work week and maybe you're going to be needing to pray some things like, Father, Abba, would you help me prioritize the 19 things I've got to do today? I don't think I can do them. Help me have wisdom. Will you show me what matters most? Father, would you help me to make the right decisions today in the right way? Father, help me to have the energy that I need and help me to know who I should talk to, who will help me give the wisdom to pull this off. And and Lord, I'm going into a meeting. How many of you are already dreading that meeting you're going to have tomorrow sometime, right? Maybe you just need to pray. Even starting the day, Lord, when I go into that meeting, help me know what to say and what not to say. Help me to have a thick skin and a tender heart. Help me to show Jesus love. Whatever you need to pray, you're just talking to God about what's ahead of you starting with today and then tomorrow and out into the future. You know, there's a lot of us that read books, listen to books sometimes, or self-help, personal development. And you know, there's some good ideas sometimes in some of those books. But I just want to suggest, if you really want help planning your life, if you really want help setting your life goals, then why don't go, you go to God's Word? Some of you wish you had a life coach. Wouldn't that be nice to have a life coach I have a suggestion for your life coach. You can go to the Holy Trinity, and he's free. He's available always, and he doesn't cost money that you don't have, and he has all the wisdom that you will ever need. He's better than anyone else you could ever go to. Why don't you go to him for wisdom? His wisdom is available 24-7, 365 in God's word. You just have to read it. But we be praying, we're, we're to be praying about these things. Now, I've said it's kind of normal stuff in life, but what about big things? Do you want to accomplish some big things in your life? Well, if you do and you feel God's put this on your heart, my challenge to you is this. What are you praying for specifically? What are you asking for 
that requires real faith? Are you looking forward to your future in faith? I'll start with this. Here's a good example. Every one of us should be praying this this year. Who do you want to see come to Jesus this year, 2019? Are you praying for someone? Do you have someone in your life that you're pleading with the Father? Open their eyes, God. Grant them repentance. Give them a new heart and new spirit. Help them to turn to you. Are you praying for that? Every one of us should be praying for at least one person to come to know Jesus. How about this? What relationship in your life or in the life of someone you know is beyond hope? Are you asking God to do a miracle and restore that and change that, whatever it is? Or what addiction, what chain in your life or in the life of someone else is too strong and you cannot break it? Are you praying and asking God in faith to answer What big things are you praying for? And how about your church family? What are you praying for about Southwinds that requires faith? Are you praying for this church? Are you praying for your pastors? Are are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Our grand opening now is less than two months away, and we still have a lot of challenges that are in front of us. I don't have time to kind of lay all those things out, but the truth is you don't need to know about every one of them. You can pray about them, and God knows what they are, and as you pray in faith, God will answer your prayers. Are you praying for God to make a way for us to do what he's called us to do? Are you asking God to provide all the resources that we need here of any kind? so that we can carry out our mission to reach the the next generation with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. See, we should be praying in faith as we look forward to our future. This should be part of how we we talk to God on a regular basis. I'm going to give you one verse, which I love, Philippians 1.6, and it tells us something very important. God always completes what he begins in our lives. I am certain, Paul writes, that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's a promise. You can bank on it. God always finishes what he starts, and it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. So again, as we close, you know, on the top of of Mount Diablo, every direction you look, You can see some incredible sights. God says to you in prayer, if you know where to look and you look there, I'm going to do some amazing, amazing things in your life. Where to look when you pray. This is God's word for us this morning. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray?